What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Graham Kryzik is the founder and CEO of Voltage, which provides simple Bitcoin infrastructure to everyone. In this conversation, we discuss the Lightning Network, how it works, why it is so valuable, current progress, the importance of infrastructure, and how products are leveraging Lightning. I really enjoyed this conversation with Graham, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into this episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. First up is BlockFi. BlockFi provides financial products for crypto investors. I'm an investor and a very happy user. Those products include a high-yield interest-bearing account, a U.S. dollar loan product against your crypto collateral, a no-fee cryptocurrency trading platform, and they also just released their Bitcoin Rewards credit card. It's a normal credit card that when you swipe, you don't get cash back or airline miles. You get Bitcoin back. It's really cool. I'm enjoying it. To start earning today, you can visit BlockFi.com slash POMP. Again, BlockFi.com slash POMP. Go there, create an account, and you can get that Bitcoin Rewards credit card. It really is superior to any other credit card I've had. Go check it out. Let me know what you think. BlockFi.com slash POMP. Next up is Choice. They're rebuilding the way you approach retirement, which starts with making it simple to include Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies in your savings. More than 20,000 Bitcoiners, myself included, have already signed up to start investing. Whether we are talking about crypto or stocks, Choice lets you trade real Bitcoin and Amazon in the same place, all without paying a dime in capital gains taxes. And if you want to hold your own keys all the way to the moon, you can do that too. Either way, Choice is on a mission to give you full control over your retirement savings. So head on over to retirewithchoice.com slash POMP. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash POMP and sign up for an account today. And one more thing, you know how I feel about this, but if you have a pro that manages your money, don't take any of their nonsense. Choice has tools for them too. Take back control today and visit retirewithchoice.com slash POMP. Again, retirewithchoice.com slash POMP. Last but not least are my friends at Masterworks. Inflation is rising at its fastest level since 2008, and the Fed's still printing money like their life depends on it. The stock market is trading at record highs, and bond yields are stuck near 0%. That has me worried. But a great way to play out this nightmare scenario is with fine art, actually. Now, you can hedge against inflation the same way billionaires have for decades, by investing in multi-million dollar paintings from artists like Picasso and Banksy's and Pasquet, which I still can't pronounce. Contemporary art specifically has outperformed S&P returns by 174% from 1995 to 2020. That's huge. Considering the epic bull run we've all just experienced, Masterworks.io is the first platform to democratize art investing so anyone can get involved. I've had their CEO, Scott Lynn, on the show a few times, and they've been a longtime supporter. In honor of Bitcoin getting close to $50,000, they're giving me 46 passes to skip their waitlist. Why 46? I don't know, but they gave me 46 passes to skip their waitlist. Just go to masterworks.io slash pomp. That's masterworks.io slash pomp. Do yourself a favor, head over there right now. Masterworks.io slash pomp. All right, let's get in this episode with Graham. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy. 
but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. Got Graham here with me. Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, Palm. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. For sure. Let's jump right into uh, the Lightning Network. I think this is something people have heard about. They probably don't know too much about it. So maybe let's just start with what exactly is the Lightning Network? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's The Lightning Network, generally speaking, is a layer two technology on top of Bitcoin. So what it really aims to solve is making Bitcoin uh, much easier to use and like more of a uh, instant payment system. Uh, so through the Lightning Network, you can create what is called payment channels, which is you and another party locking funds into a, a multi-sig address. And in that address, you can virtually send infinite amounts of transactions between each other in this one on-chain transaction. And so uh, through this, uh, this these payment channels, we create a global network of nodes that are all connected into each other. And through this network, we can send to virtually anyone in the world for virtually zero fees or very, very low fees and, and instantly. So when you think about how Bitcoin works on the, the base layer, the layer one, uh, we have the confirmation times and we have the fees that are necessary for the miners, right? And that's all great for the layer one and the, the consensus mechanisms that are at play there. But when you think about bringing this to everyone in the world and uh, really trying to send it from you know me to you just for a, a random cup of coffee or something, we really got to really think bigger than that. And how are we going to solve that? And that's what the Lightning Network does is it enables us to uh, create one uh, on-chain transaction that could process virtually infinite payments on top of it that are instant and very cheap. So one key piece of this that I think people don't understand is layer one is optimizing for security, right? Resilience, decentralization. What we're talking about here is this layer two, and that's where we're really going after scalability. And, and that's kind of what you're talking about with Lightning Network. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's what, uh, that's exactly right. And the base layer is super optimized to make it, you know, the most hard sound money that there is. And it's the most secure network in the world. And the way that we, op we the way that we bring that to everyone else in the world is by doing this layered scaling, right? And being able to do more on top of it. When you think about these other projects that are trying to do these layer two and three things on the base layer and having all of this optimized for TPS and all this kind of crazy stuff, it's a little bit backwards. And that the, the better option here is to do the layer scaling. And then this idea that uh, you and I could both be using the Lightning Network, we could basically create a payment channel. So my node, your node, we connect up and we can basically send as much value as many times back and forth as we want. And then eventually what can happen is we can actually write to the layer one with a single transaction. And that could represent all of those different transactions and all of that different economic value that we sent back and forth, but it only takes up one single transaction in the base chain, right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And we and you think about, you know, in the Lightning Network, you can also, there's the concept of like routing. So sending it to someone else, like, you know, if you have a, a channel with your friend, I can send to your friend through you. And so when you think about that, you can do, just large, large amounts of transactions uh, for one single on-chain transaction. And then you you apply that to the energy debate and all of this stuff. Well, it's really a one on-chain transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain could represent millions of, you know, additional transactions on top of it. 
One of the reasons this becomes so interesting, I think, right now is this conversation around Bitcoin and energy consumption. I've talked a lot about uh, the legacy financial system has a linear relationship, right? So if I want to serve more transactions or more users, I actually need to consume more energy. Bitcoin, because of this layer two and, and kind of lightning network scalability, isn't necessarily the same thing. Regardless of if the transactions in the block are full or not, it's still going to consume the same amount of energy in terms of those trying to mine those blocks. And so the lightning network actually allows us to pack much more transactions and much more economic value into each block, which ultimately makes it scalable. And so as we kind of see this coming to fruition, I think there's a lot of questions people had around, is this real? Can it work? Now it seems like everything is taking off. The number of users, the number of public nodes, the uh, actual capacity in these nodes. Talk about how you evaluate the Lightning Network and like what metrics you care about and, and how you think through like, okay, this data is showing that this is working and it's gaining adoption. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're, you're definitely right that all of these metrics are definitely uh, trending upwards as far as number of nodes on the capacity, all of these things, which is great. But the for me and you know for Voltage, it's really the thing that we're tracking the most is like the usability, the use cases of it, and how are people applying this technology. And that has like taken off even more so than all these nodes and everything, which is like, I think that's the the number of nodes and the capacity is the trailing indicator to the use of it, right? So I think that that's what we keep track of the most is how is this being applied and how are these people, you know, bringing it into their existing apps or new apps? Um, and you can see that with Strike, with Sphinx Chat, pod, the new podcasting 2.0, all these things are uh, leveraging the Lightning Network. And that is really the thing that we track the most. And that is like at an all-time high. And it's just, it's really the amount of new companies and new applications that are being written on top of the Lightning Network, it's just, it's it's insane. And it's really uh, encouraging to see and it's super exciting. When you think about the nodes, I think one of the big misunderstandings is people see the public nodes and they think that's the totality of the network. But there's obviously nodes that have elected not to be publicly discoverable. How can people understand what the difference between the public and the non-public is? And then do we have any sense for what percentage of the network is non-public or non-discoverable? Um, yeah, so I don't think anyone has done a ton of research into that. Um, I know that you're, you're exactly right that there's there's kind of a both a public and a private lightning network. Uh, you can have nodes, you can have funds that are not you know visible to everyone through just the regular explorers. Um, and so when you think about you know think about an exchange or someone that wants to have like you know these large payment channels between OTC desks or these other exchanges or something like that, they're probably not going to have that public, right? Like they want to kind of keep that to themselves. And so when you when you really think about that and like how people could apply the private network to it as well, I mean, you're this really could be as as big as you know anyone could could imagine it to be. And uh, as far as like you know the metrics, there's I haven't seen anyone trying to do the the analysis of private versus public, but uh, I could bet that uh, just as the public nodes are kind of skyrocketing right now, the the privates are doing a similar trend. Yeah, that would make sense. Is there any idea that we have as to what the largest amount uh, from an economic value standpoint somebody can do in a transaction? Are we talking one Bitcoin, 100 Bitcoin? Like how large can these transactions be? Uh, I mean, they, they really can be as big as you want. The protocol itself has a limit on it right now, which is just really a safety mechanism. Um, there's no 
hard reason for like to have the limits on it. It's really just for safety right now. Um, and as the, as the network matures that those will be lifted or increased. Um, so really it's just a matter of, um, how big you, when you do those on-chain transactions to open your channels, it's really about how much capacity did you put into that at the start? And then, you know, you ask for like that full amount, you know, at any, at any time. Got it. And then, so when you start to think through uh, the ultimate vision of Lightning, um, what does that look like? Like, where are we headed, or, or what's the thing that has everyone excited as to if Lightning is successful? Here's what the Lightning Network can actually achieve. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the way I really see it is it's uh, it's really building that new internet, right? And I think that's maybe a little it's probably used pretty often in the crypto space, and it's maybe a little overused. But like, but seriously, like. When you think about the being able to use money just like the way that we use TCPIP today, and being able to send satoshis like in in along with this image or a message or whatever it is, um, it really is a really crazy and novel idea to be able to send money the way that we send the internet packets, right? And when people are applying that to things like the chat applications, being able to listen to podcasts and stream money to the creator, it, it really it. it creates a relationship between the content creator and the consumer it's like this one-to-one and you can do it completely peer-to-peer and be able to uh, really do all of these new things that are on top of the Lightning Network that uh, haven't really been able to be done before. Or at least if something was similar, you had to trust some intermediary. You had to like use Venmo or something to like be a middleman in between these, these things. Um, and so it's really unlocking a whole new way of, uh, sending sending the value between people and is doing it in a way that is also could be super finite, right? You can send fractions of a cent to someone, um, you know, over and over and over again for like, imagine sending someone a Venmo for one cent for, for an hour, like who, like that's crazy. But being able to do that while you're listening to a podcast or messaging and whatever it is, um, it's really unlocking a whole new way that we use the internet. When you think about Lightning being built and, and continuing to kind of um, gain adoption, infrastructure is obviously really important. You run a business called Voltage that is specifically focused on uh, Bitcoin infrastructure made easy. What is Voltage and how does the product work? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, we're a, a Bitcoin infrastructure provider. So we've created a platform that makes it super easy to spin up Bitcoin nodes and Lightning nodes, along with some other open source technology uh, that makes those even easier to use. So through our platform, you can come sign up and create a node in about two minutes and be up and running on the Lightning network. Um, really, I created this the platform out of the frustration of trying to set up a node myself and really get onto the network and spending hundreds of dollars only to have everything fail and the maintenance. So we really created a platform that is super easy to use and uh, gets you up and running uh, like in two minutes. And we handle all of the non-sexy stuff on the back end of networking, backups, all of this stuff. So uh, you can come create a node and uh, hook up your wallet or just hit the APIs directly and just get started using the Lightning Network in virtually no time at all. So if I'm a user, I come to Voltage and I say, hey, I'd like to spin up a Lightning node. What's happening on the back end? What, are, what is the work that you're having to do uh, for me uh, to get me set up and, and off to the races? 
Yeah. So we have a, I mean, we have a pretty complex like backend system that uh, handles a lot of things, but really when you're creating a node, a lightning node, uh, it has to connect into a Bitcoin full node because it has to validate those transactions onto the main chain. And then uh, we're, you also have to do the bootstrapping of like the network, which is like graph syncing to figure out, okay, where are the other nodes at on the network? Um, and then you also have to set up um, all of your settings to enable which APIs you want, what kind of backups you want, all of these uh, really intricate details. Um, so we really handle all of those, that provisioning of your node, the Bitcoin node, uh, connecting into the other network, do, finding the finding the other nodes on the network, and so the whole bootstrapping process is is what we create or what what we manage for you, and then uh, taking that step further into once you start using the product, doing things like version upgrades and uh, trying to do uh, failovers to new nodes, all of those things. You know, we have solutions for. And so obviously, I think this is super fascinating uh, and a really valuable business idea, uh, so much so that I invested in the business. But what metrics can you share with us of kind of progress to date or, or any signs that you have of, okay, Voltage works and people want to use this? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we have a, a pretty extensive list of uh, customers that are uh, fairly popular in the Lightning Network space. So you can think about like um, Adam Curry and his podcast index and uh, Dave Jones. They are using us uh, to manage their Lightning Node, and they're when when the whole podcasting 2.0 uh, movement that's going on right now, they receive like a portion of virtually all podcasts that are getting played, and so that's a huge amount of volume going to their node. And uh, that was something that the they really didn't know much about, and the they couldn't manage a whole lot. Of, they didn't have the time to manage all this stuff. So that's where Voltage really came in to. Uh, take over that for them and they can start uh, working with all of these companies to enable this podcasting 2.0. Um, and then we think about people like Sphinx Chat and the Zion that just got released today. These are uh, a pretty new way of doing um, the Lightning Network in that they provision nodes on behalf of users. And then, you know, when you sign up, you are, you know, assigned a node. Um, and those are in the thousands of nodes, you know, for, for their customers. Um, so, we really, uh, we've really seen some good success, both in like the size of nodes and like the size of volume that is coming through the platform. And then also just strictly in the number of nodes, it's been pretty vast as well. So uh, there's a lot of different use cases, a lot of different markets that are coming into play here. Um, but all of them are really, uh, I think, seeing, seeing value out of the platform and are really onboarding in a big way. It feels like a lot of lightning um, and kind of the use cases are around these micro uh, transactions. So let's say with podcasting, I can stream payments uh, when I'm listening to a podcast, et cetera. Um, as you are helping to set up the infrastructure for these various use cases, is it something where today maybe we've just got the tip of the iceberg and there's only you know 10% of all the possible uh, applications have been thought of and, and kind of put into practice? Or is it something where, no, we're just going to take the old kind of web 2.0 world and we're going to overlay it into this new world? And so it's not so much about new ideas as much as it is just the execution of going and building out these various applications. No, I mean, that's a great question. I think that it's definitely... Um it's 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 almost like a spectrum like we're today like we're definitely seeing the kind of um reworking the web 2 ideas and re re reworking the the incentive incentive models and things that go with it so that's where it kind of is today because that's um it's fairly easy and it's a way for us to really figure out what the network is capable of um but then i think as we go forward we're definitely going to see like completely new and novel ideas and like this being applied to things that, you know, just straight up don't exist today. And I think this is the same for us as, as a platform. Uh, we're like, what we have today is like a small fraction of what we have, like on our roadmap and what we're building. So I think that both us as a company, 
we have just some really huge ideas that we're going to go after and try and build. And then I think that that's the same for the Lightning Network in, in general and these people that are building on top of it. When you think about uh, moving forward, the resilience of the Lightning Network, is there a concern that majority of the nodes or a high percentage of the nodes could be um, managed by or supported by Voltage versus being completely decentralized? Or there's so many nodes at this point that it would be nearly impossible for Voltage to actually have majority of the nodes kind of on their platform? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a we we get that question quite a bit, and it's um, I think the the biggest important distinction here is that the Lightning Network isn't a consensus consensus layer, so it's not like the Bitcoin base layer where fifty one percent control can you know do some nasty things. It's like it's completely different than that in the Lightning Network. Like the Lightning Network could be me and you, and like that's it. Um, so uh, there's not really as far as like one person running a large portion of the nodes that doesn't matter quite as much. Um, but then at the same time. As the Lightning Network grows, you know, say we have millions of nodes, billions of nodes, whatever it, it ends up being, um, it'll be such a vast market that there that that won't matter as much. And then, as a final point, the what Bitcoin and the Lightning Network enables, which is like the greatest part, is the optionality. Like, if you aren't technically savvy and able to run a node yourself, people like us are like you know perfect, right? And if you are able to run your own node and do this at home and manage all this stuff, like do it. Like I. I, I want you to do that, right? Like I completely encourage that. And so I think that that's what is so unique to Bitcoin and the Lightning Network is the optionality to choose completely self-sovereign, doing it in your basement or using something like us. There's tons of things in the middle, right? Talk to me about pricing and what it costs for someone to run a node via the Voltage platform and then how you all make money. Yeah, I mean, so right now we just have a straight up hosting fee. Um, so it's very similar to like an AWS or something where you kind of just pay for what you use on the platform. Um, we have really a very entry level pricing, at like $10 a month for like our kind of smallest like entry level node. Um, and then they go up from there until like we have some really professional offerings that are for like those podcast index that are doing huge amounts of transactions. Um, so we, we really have a... a wide range of different products and offerings that, uh, that you could come on and use. And it's very, um, very entry level. Like we definitely want to help people like just get on the network and start playing around with it. So, um, pricing is very straightforward. It's very much just like a usage based hosting fee. And we have a kind of price points for everyone. And then let's talk a little bit about the future of the Lightning Network, right? As we move forward, uh, you are one of the people who spends the most time I know, uh, you know, working with the technology, paying attention to it. Um, are there certain milestones, metrics, uh, or kind of inflection points in the future that you're really looking for as a sign that uh, not only is this working, but we're starting to hit kind of mass scale or mainstream adoption? Yeah, I mean, I think that, so I think that when you had your conversation with like Kevin Rook, I think that he kind of touches on it a little bit in that like, I think that the the metrics that people are really watching right now are like the number of nodes, the capacity, which is a little bit of a, a bad, like it's a good metric, but it's a bad metric because of the whole private aspect of the network. Um, so I think it goes back to, again, like the usage of it and like, okay, how many, like how many people are using the Lightning Network? And whether it's like, there's custodial services like Wallet of Satoshi is just a custodial lightning wallet. They have one node on the network, but I don't even know how many thousands of users they have that use their platform. So um, that again goes back to the how good and bad the node metric is. Um, so I think that what we're really tracking is just like just the use case and the usability of it. And what I like like to look at the most is these new and novel ideas or applying it to new uh, new areas that just haven't been done before. And we're working with some like, um, some of those like OTC desks and some of these more financial, uh, traditional finance people into figuring out how can we 
leverage the Lightning Network to, you know, do faster transactions, do, um, you know, arbitrage between exchanges, all of these things that uh, are really, really interesting use cases. And so that's really what I track the most is just like, it's not necessarily the number of nodes. It's not necessarily, you know, the capacity. It's like, okay, how are people using this today? And like, is it adding value for real? And like, how scalable is that value? And where can we apply it elsewhere? How do you think about uh, the importance of the infrastructure working versus the importance of people knowing it's there? So an example would be, uh, take something like Strike. I have no clue how many people know that Lightning is part of the underpinnings of Strike versus they just think that they're using this Strike application and it works. How do you think about the difference between those two things? And is, uh, is it important that people know they're using the Lightning network versus just the applications that they're using work? Yeah, no, I, I don't think it's, I, I the way I kind of like to think about it is I don't think it's necessarily important to know, but what I like to see from companies like Strike, I think they do a good job of it, is like, uh, making it known that that is what is powering, you know, this, this app or this system behind it. And I think that what those enable is it for people to kind of go down that rabbit hole, right. Of like, okay, I'm just using this app that I'm buying, sending whatever Bitcoin on. And then, uh, being able to take that and really look and say like, oh, this is using the light network behind it. Well, I want to know more about the Lightning Network. Let me research that. Oh, I can like run my own notes. Like, let me start going down that rabbit hole. So, um, I don't think it's necessarily, uh, critical for these these uh applications to make it super known but i think at least like putting that uh that like kind of message in in the user's ear really enables them to like figure out oh this is what it's using let me dig further and learn more one question that i get a lot and i actually don't have a great example is um or, or answer is uh as the lightning network becomes more popular and gains more adoption let's fast forward 10 15 20 years is this a world where there's kind of a winner take all second layer for scalability for payments on bitcoin so lightning wins or it doesn't or is it actually the fact that there could be multiple layer two uh type scalable networks you know lightning plus lightning version three version four version five um, and that's actually kind of the end state that we're all moving towards yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's a good question. There are like to, I guess for the listeners, there are some other like layer two solutions, like Blockstream has a liquid side chain. There's like state chain. So there's like these, there's a few other different ways of solving this kind of scalability problem. Um, I think that, I think that lightning is the best one. And I think that uh, there, there will likely exist other layer twos, like, you know, liquid and all of these other ones. Um, I think their use cases will be fairly like kind of limited into like a very, very niche market or very niche user base. Um, so I'm of the mind that I think Lightning Network will be kind of that layer two that takes over. And then we kind of start building on top of that, where there's like a company that called Impervious that just came out here recently, where they're kind of like, they're, they're trying to be like a layer three of like building, being the building blocks on top of the Lightning Network to really start building these new applications. So um, I think we're going to keep scaling into layers, you know, from here. And uh, there there exists the possibility that there could be multiple different layer twos. Um, but I think that for, uh, for this to really take hold and really reach billions of people, we're going to have to kind of find one that works the best and really like do the best we can to optimize that one impervious tell me a little bit more about what they're doing from your understanding of like what is a layer three i think people have heard of layer two they understand like now how does a layer three fit into this yeah so the layer three is kind of like those sphinx chat examples where it's like it's an application that is built around you know kind of 
native decentralized uh, through the Lightning Network and other peer-to-peer technologies. So that's when we think about layer threes is it's like a, you know, a chat application or something that is using this decentralized peer-to-peer networks to operate. Um, and so that's really kind of going into the Web3 vein of, you know, decentralized, no middlemen, all of this stuff. Um, and so Impervious is one of the companies is kind of creating a developer toolkit building blocks enabled for that helps people create those applications much easier. When you think today about the Lightning Network, um, are there any critical uh, challenges or obstacles that you're like, hey, we really got to navigate this part uh, in order to see this become successful? What, what are the downsides or the, the best critiques, if you will, of the Lightning Network? Yeah, I mean, I think that there, like some of the critiques out there are just like the UX of it, like the usability of even once you have a node running, uh, the channel management is a little bit foreign. And then we have a bunch of kind of different uh, specs for how to how to use it, like how to do payments and all this stuff. So uh, the UX uh, is could use some improving and it is being actively improved. So I will say that there's a lot of work being done to improve that. But I think that that's one of the valid criticisms right now is that it's a little bit difficult to use. Um, and I will say, like, even when I started, when I first heard about the Lightning Network, and I started looking into it. I thought it was a bad idea. I dismissed it entirely because it didn't have like a bunch of features that I wanted. But that was me being completely short-sighted because all those features got added in like in a, several months later. So it's kind of, um, I think everyone has to really realize and like take with a grain of salt, like where we're at now, that this isn't the final state. We have a lot more building to do and a lot more things to add. And as we grow and fix all of these little UX bugs and how to do all like, you know, X, Y, and Z, uh, we, it is possible get, to get to a state of kind of ubiquity where everything is really nice, really works well together. Um, and then it's uh, very easily interoperable with our the current web stack. When you think about um, the challenges for Voltage itself, uh, what are like the biggest obstacles that you've had to either overcome or that you foresee in the future? Yeah, I mean, for obviously for us to like kind of succeed as a business, we need to continue to drive like the adoption of the Lightning Network. And we're still like, you know, we've, we've seen really good growth, but like that's, we're still at a small fraction of like what it could be. And so that's what we need to we're working on doing is really still evangelizing um, and really uh, trying to educate our users on what the Lightning Network is and how they could use it in their business today. So uh, that's really something that we are focused on and we're really trying to do is not only, you know, make it really easy to create nodes and run nodes on, on the Lightning Network, but also help people understand why, like why you should, why you can, like what, what benefit that does for your business. I, uh, I tend to think that you're onto something uh, and the Lightning Network seems to be onto something as well. Um, what, what is kind of the final pitch before we go into the rapid fire questions to, to, to wrap up here? What's your pitch to people as to why they should use the Lightning Network or why they should use Voltage? Yeah, I mean, I think that everyone should like really start looking seriously into like you, leveraging the Lightning Network and leveraging Bitcoin more generally because uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's the future, right? I think that really is going to take over like the internet. Um, and the the sooner you can get kind of plugged in, the better. Um, but also through like the people that we've worked with through our customers, um, we see that Bitcoin, being integrating Bitcoin into whatever you're doing is a very, very sticky selling point, I guess. Like once people start using Bitcoin and like in these new ways or start interacting with it, they come back. Like it is very much um, a retention tool. Uh, and it is something that also, as well as like being able to retain your users it is uh, it helps with that decentralized like uh, peer-to-peer play where they could 
um, then like, you know, take their keys off of like, you know, your service and start managing their keys on their own and do all these new things. So really um, the two things that I really like to, as I use as a selling point to businesses is that the very sticky product. And then it's also um, the way that you can really uh, enable your users to take control of, you know, their, their lives, their data, their, their internet access, like all of these things that um, I think are important as we go forward in the future. I tend to agree, my friend. Uh, three questions I ask everyone, then you get to ask me one at the end, is what is the most important book that you've ever read? Whew. I'm like, I'm surprisingly not a book guy, um, but uh, I'm trying to think of the, be the best book I ever read. Um, I should have prepared for that because I know that you asked that. I I've heard that on your other podcast. Um, and it's Man, not, the, not, not even the best, but just like one that sticks out as that was really important. This is probably going to be really like really nerdy, but there is an intro to programming book I was reading um, when I was uh, when I was riding the bus to uh, a day job that was like it was I was like a, I actually worked at Pizza Hut for a while and it was re like learning how to program, like reading just this you know, physical book, which like that is learning to program with physical books is kind of crazy nowadays, but, uh, just reading, how does this stuff work while like, I'm going to like some crappy day job. And that was like, that's not, I, I don't think that's a good answer to like the book question, but it was something that like really enabled me to take control of my future and like be able to do what I want to do. What, what made you buy the book? That's a fascinating story. I mean, like I, I just, I wanted to learn programming. I wanted to learn like, okay, how do I start doing this stuff? Like I, I'm super interested in tech. Like how do I like take the next step? And it was like, well, I mean, I, I have all this kind of wasted time on like bus rides and stuff. So like I need to, I need to do something. That's an awesome story. Uh, second question is about your sleep schedule. Uh, I sleep on a eight sleep, the thermoregulated bed and turn it super cold. Used to sleep five or six hours. Now I sleep like eight or nine and uh, it's been life changing for me. What's your sleep schedule and how has that changed over time? Um, I had a baby two weeks ago. So my sleep schedule is like, this is the worst time for it to ask me about my sleep schedule. Um, so sleep schedule is very sporadic. Um, I don't get enough as I should, um, but I absolutely, I bought like a kind of a splurge on a good mattress and like have like an adjustable base and stuff. So like my bed is like, it's, it's my safe spot. Like I just absolutely love it. But so good bed, not good sleep. It's okay. If you got the good bed, once the baby gets a little bit older, then you'll be, uh, you'll be in business, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Last question. A little bit more fun that you get to ask me one aliens. Are you a believer or a non-believer? Um, I mean, I, I think so. Like, I think that I just think that the universe is so vast that it's like, I, I think that we are so small that like, how could there, how could like, we be the only ones like even like, from like a religious perspective, it's like there could totally be like, you know, other other worlds out there. And so what that what that looks like, I don't know. But I think that thinking uh, as big as the universe is, it's certainly possible. I, uh, I tend to agree. You can ask me one question to finish up. What question you got for me? Do you have a Bitcoin pizza moment? Like something that you bought with Bitcoin that was like, uh, like today you're like, oh crap, I shouldn't have bought that. <laughs> so I have two stories. Neither one are, are that exact thing, but uh, somewhat similar. So first is most people uh, now are finding out, but didn't know, I, I didn't realize this. Uh, I actually started out in the crypto industry uh, setting up mining equipment, but I was mining Ether, not Bitcoin. 
So there's not very many people that come in through Ether and then kind of you know transition over and become more Bitcoin focused. Uh, but that's how I did. And somebody had just pitched me on, uh, hey, set up a mining uh, infrastructure. And then they said you use GPUs. And so obviously you have to, uh, to mine Ether. And so uh, the mistake I made was I started mining Ether. It was like, I don't know, eight, nine, ten dollars, whatever it was. And through the beginning of 2017, it went from like 10 bucks to 30 to 50 to 100 by like May of 2017. And so because it was so volatile, I was like, oh, I'm going to pick up more Ether. And so I started trading. Horrible idea. I'm a, yeah. I'm a ridiculously bad trader. Uh, you know, lesson learned. Um, and so I would have had much more value if I hadn't done that. But, uh, but yeah, you, you know, you live and you learn and that's fine. And then the second thing is uh, my biggest regrets are not purchases I made with Bitcoin because of uh, that kind of experience trading Ether. I knew that uh, whatever I, I end up buying, just don't spend. Right. So like I, I kind of got that ingrained, uh, thankfully, but it's things I bought in fiat. So it's like I would go and I would buy something. Mm. And then later on, I'm like, oh, I don't even need like, why did I do that? And it was <laughs> didn't have any big purchases. It could be a couple hundred bucks. Right. Or, or even, mm -hmm. you know, 20, 40 bucks, whatever. But it's like, ah, if I bought Bitcoin back in 2019, rather than, you know, go buy that stupid thing. Hey, I'd be much better off. I'd have more sat. So I think it's uh, my regret is always the the fiat spending because I've convinced myself never to spend Bitcoin. Um, but uh, you know, everyone's got their own kind of story or their own challenge, and uh, they're kicking themselves. But I think that's part of the learning process. Yeah. No. Yeah. For sure. I, I agree. I think that we all have those moments that you 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 do it, and then you're like, ah, crap. All right, I'm not going to do that again. Exactly. Where can we send people to find you on the internet or find more about Voltage and uh, start using the product? Yeah, for sure. So uh, my Twitter handle is gkrizek. That's G-K-R-I-Z-E-K. -E uh, Voltage is voltage.cloud. Um, Twitter handle is voltage underscore cloud. So yeah, come to our come to the platform, check it out. Um, hit me up if you need any help. But uh, yeah, start using the Lightning Network. I almost never do this, but I highly suggest people go check out Voltage. Uh, I'm somebody who I personally believe Bitcoin obviously uh, is inevitable to some degree, whatever form that takes. The Lightning Network as a scalability layer too, I think is uh, inevitable as well, whatever form that takes. Um, and Voltage, uh, not only did uh, I, I really enjoy kind of speaking a number of times to Graham, but also looking through the platform, uh, it ended up not only liking it, but also wanting to invest. So I, uh, I suggest folks go check that out. So you can just go to voltage.cloud. And, uh, and let us know what you think. DM uh, Graham or DM me. We're, uh, we're happy to talk about it. So thanks so much for coming on and doing this. I think uh, we just got to keep hammering and, and let people know that, uh, you know, Lightning Network works. It's growing. Let's go. Yep. Yep. For sure.